Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to another episode of That's What People Do. You are joined by me, Ryan McGowan, and as always, James Kay. How are you doing today, buddy? I'm good. I am good. How are you doing? I am good. I'm very tired still, but uh, I'm fine. We have... Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a busy week. It's, it, it has been a busy week. Um, we have some... We've got, like, uh, TWPD is evolving, it's changing, and there's some things coming up, and we have been preparing for it, we've been creating some things for it, so expect to see those coming out soon, but it has meant that it's just made us so, so tired. <laughs> and, like, in pain as well. Like, yeah. I think, what was it, Monday, it was the most amount of pain I've been in in a, a long, long time. Yeah, if you follow us on the socials, you'll see uh, that James and I had a, a long old day out in London, um and we were filming um with my partner jenna being our uh official now director of photography for that's what yeah. people do and it was Having good and when i when i saw the schedule and said lots of walking went that's gonna be lovely a nice little walking tour of london and yet now i'm thinking london's the most like connected city probably maybe in the world in terms of transport like you can get a train to go 30 seconds down the road and we opted not to and my body didn't thank me for that no it did not no it did not but we have done what we wanted to do we're excited to share with you all what is happening and um yeah you'll find out real soon nice now let's get into this week's episode uh lovingly titled the marquis de sar now some of you may be aware of that name james you said uh, before we start recording you don't know who this person is at all not at all so before we start then, if some of you are aware, then this will not come as a surprise, but if you don't, warning. This episode will contain descriptions of violence of a sexual nature. Listener discretion is advised. 
Now, throughout human history, sex has been a divisive topic. Only in the last 60 years have we had a sexual revolution that has allowed us to become more open and transparent about sex in our lives. We're seeing people truly begin to express themselves in a way that for over a thousand years was to be hidden and never spoken about. But in this episode, we're going to delve into the mind of a man so depraved and lustful that it horrified a nation and would make the film 365 Days look tame. We're talking about the Marquis de Sade. Now before we get into the life of today's subject, let's go on a journey through the history of sex to help us understand the world the Marquis de Sade inhabited. We in the 21st century are more open to the idea of sex. As I mentioned, people are more comfortable exploring their own sexuality today than they did in the last couple hundred years. Many of our parents' and grandparents' generation were taught about monogamy and heterosexual relationships, so seeing younger people break that mould is very odd to them indeed. Now, they may be concerned, thinking that it is the end of human civilization as we know it for two cisgendered men to have a relationship. They may also think it is immoral for a cisgendered woman to have a bisexual phase when they are discovering their sexuality. What I would argue, though, is that this is a very typical human behaviour indeed, and has gone. this has gone on throughout human history. So, what changed? Well, what changed is that humans created rules for societies based on out-of-date religious ideology. Let me explain. This is not me just having a go at religion. <laughs> As usual. Yeah. If we get in our way, way back machine and go to the era of the caveman, we would see the same types of behaviour we're seeing more prevalent today, apparently. So according to British archaeologist Timothy Taylor, who wrote the book The Prehistory of Sex, Four Million Years of Sexual Culture, early man engaged in a variety of sexual practices, such as group sex, use of sex toys and transvestism. Now, we I'm, know this... Oh, sorry, I'm fascinated about what a caveman sex toy would be. <laughs> well, uh, we will just get a, to that. Wooden things that have been like carved, that splinters. Yeah, not wood, man. These, these cavemen are smarter than that. Okay. Now, we know all of this from recent archaeological discoveries that are believed to be early sex toys and cross-dressed skeletons. So, when it comes to that, um, it, it seems to be like... Uh, rock or you know uh, boulder or sort of same thing isn't it stones uh, and they've been carved and smoothed over time and supposedly it looks phallic like so they believe it could have been a early dildo of sorts that's i think that's so the first time i think that's the first time i've said that word on the podcast in four Probably. years i don't think it's ever come up before that's well interesting but then i guess if you do go back to like basics and when you think about sex and you remove all connotations, all like romance or religion, everything from it, at the end of the day, it's one, it's just to reproduce and two, it feels good. And I guess to a caveman, that's all they knew. Like this feels really good. And yeah. they, they were trying to find ways to sort of extend that. I think you have to remind yourself that humans are, as much as we like to think we're better, at basic level, very, very intelligent apes, mm. very intelligent just animals if we wanted to strip it back even further we're no different to any other animal we're just a little bit more intelligent than them which means we have every base desire as most animals do and yes some animals have different ways of dealing with things and and so do humans humans 
Some are monogamous, some are not monogamous, some are, you know, they, they, they do things differently. There's no, like, one way for all people to do things. There's not one way for all animals to just do things. And it seems that, you know, cavemen were the truest form in that sense. They did what they felt they needed to do and what they wanted to do. And now we're getting to a stage where humans are starting to feel that way again and feel comfortable exploring different options, but in a smarter way. It's, it's, I'm sure we're going to get onto this, but it's so interesting throughout history how things have like changed over time because of outside sort of like, as you mentioned, religious aspects. I think for me, coming into this blind is, is the main reason why certain mm. sexual acts are deemed as as wrong when really, who gives a fuck? But we'll come on to this. We will. Now, a couple of things I do want to make clear based on that last statement. All right? I am aware that the term transvestism can be a problematic term today, uh, but it is the term that was used by the author, hence why I used it. Uh, I also do want to add that being a cross-dresser does not infer that your sexuality it does not infer your sexuality is anything other. Uh, you can be heterosexual and cross-dress. It's just a fascinating find that you know opens up uh, more of our understanding about humans and sex and the idea that early cavemen may have cross-dressed in a way to potentially appear uh, in a more effeminate way or not. Just Isn't it interesting though, that even like millions of years ago that there were gender-conforming like outfits? Because to cross-dress, yeah. you need to then be aware that this is for men, this is for women. Well, it may have been things like, and this is realistically, we clothes are not likely to have lasted, but jewellery certainly may have. And it may have been mm. that we discovered jewellery uh, that you were typically found with females on male corpses of sorts. Um, Interesting. Now, let's get back in that way, way back machine and go forward a few tens of thousands of years in time to when humans had invented farming and agriculture. We notice here that humans have become more monogamous. Now, to be clear, that's not me stating that since then man has been monogamous and always should be. Instead, it's widely thought that monogamy was a more practical thing for humans to do since they started farming. See, looking after your farm and home was a lot easier when there were two people staying together who both had a vested interest in that property. Plus, there is the, op the, there is the, uh, the, the gain that you get for looking after offspring uh, until they reach their own sort of maturity and they can look after themselves. So it, there is a thing to that. Yeah, that does make sense. Because I suppose like other other animals don't really pair off for life. Humans kind of do, but then penguins pair off for life, which I've always found fascinating. That it's not just humans that do it. I do find with those as well. A lot of animals that I suppose you do find who pair for life tend to live in environments that it it needs it more. If that makes mm. sense, like it, it would make more sense for them to do that rather than being on their own because it might be harder or something. I don't, I don't know if there's anything that necessarily backs that, but that's off my own anecdotal visions. Um, but yeah, uh, let's go forward a little bit more, uh, where we could argue that despite being monogamous, humans weren't always heterosexual and could engage in sex with other people. Let's go to the ancient Greeks who are famous for their homosexuality. It was known that Greek men would frequently engage in sexual acts with their counterparts, especially military men. It seems that the ancient Greeks didn't really subscribe to our modern senses of sexuality. In fact, the famous Spartans of legend were known to partake in a custom known as pedestry. Have you heard of that, James? No. Uh, the, 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 to be fair, the name itself is half the clue. 
pedestry. I mean, maybe I'm way off base here, but ped, pe- like to me, I'm thinking ped, pediatrician, children. Oh, no. Okay, oh, good. Children. Yes, no, you're right on the right lines. <laughs> uh, right, pedestry, slightly problematic in itself since it's the practice of an older male engaging in a sexual relationship with typically a teenage boy. Yeah, that's uh, not good. Yeah. That's frowned upon. That's a no-no. Yeah. Their role would be to help groom the young man into adulthood and they would become their mentor. It's just it involved questionable sexual practices as well. Um, so whilst that older man would be like, oh, I'll teach you all about taxes. Don't worry about that. And then buggers them afterwards. That's that's kind of pedestry, I think, in, in a nutshell. That's kind of fucked because then that would be like the circle of life because then that guy will grow up and do it to someone else. Yeah, it's it it's odd. I don't know. I didn't look too much into it, but I don't know the history behind it, where it started, why it was a thing. But it was so common; it was just accepted as a normal thing. Um, I weird. mean, by today's standards, that's fucked. And yeah. it, it's 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 really it's so difficult for us in the modern world to look at having sex with minors as a as a a normal thing because it's not. And and I think rightfully it's not because if you look at like evidence of when people's brains are fully developed and things like this that that obviously leads into it but it, it's kind of gross and also like i suppose this is going off piece a little bit that if you're looking at like how the human body works when girls reach a certain age i know this is a bit different and they have their period and that makes them means they're fertile and they can have children I suppose to other people who don't have the knowledge of sort of brain development and what's socially acceptable to today's standards and whatnot, that then means that they can have children. Therefore, I can sleep with them. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's spot on. That seems to have been the way all the all, all throughout majority of human history. It's like if you can if you bleed, then you know you can reproduce. That's it. You know. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah, I think it's only it was it's modern history that is it's become wrong. I think for the vast majority of human existence, it's probably been... And other cultures as well, it's still fine. It is interesting, isn't it, how for so long people... Uh, what well, we don't know. I don't know. But I'm assuming that most people didn't see it as an issue. And now we do. And I, I don't know why. Like, obviously, I know it's wrong. But wh- at what point did we decide as a society, no, 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 you shouldn't do that. That's not that's not right. I think I think it's the aforementioned point of like brain development because it is it is wrong. You can't especially as like society moves on and like drinking age is like eighteen, for example, buying a house is an adult thing. Like you can't do that. You can't raise a child in the modern world when you are thirteen by yourself. Yeah. I, I use the term thirteen because that's generally sort of the average age. But I don't know. It's weird. It's a really horrible conversation to have as well because mm. like you have to think about things you don't want to think about. Yeah, for sure. Now, I must state that this pedestry thing was not the case everywhere, uh, but it would be interesting to tell a bigger that in the film 300 of all those macho Spartan men defending their honour, uh, that the majority of them will have engaged in some sexual act with one another and likely have been buggering other teenage boys before they went out to the, uh, the hot gates. So, next time you watch 300, that'll be in the back of your head. The orgy scene is on the deleted deleted scenes director's cut yeah just there's gerard some, butler just 
there's some really weird joke and I, I looked it up for this and then I decided not to put it in but now I'm talking about it so I really felt like I should have fucking explained it a little bit more have you heard this like I think I heard it from QI with Stephen Fry once and there was a joke about how and I don't know if this came from the Romans or anything like that and it was saying something like um, uh, the Greeks invented sex with boys or something and the Romans discovered you could have it with women also and it's like saying that <laughs> all Greeks were homosexuals I don't know yeah. if that was like I an mean, old thing or not. There's the whole festival of Dionysus, isn't there, where ancient Greeks would just go out into the woods, they'd get fucked on wine, and they they would just have sex with anything that moves. Mm. It would just be wild orgies. And this is completely completely acceptable. And are, are people nowadays sort of want to sort of go back to that, where people are more like fluid with their sexuality, like they want to have sex with people that they want to have sex with. Then power to you. Who gives, like, who gives a shit? It doesn't affect anyone else's life. Well, but I was is, trying to. It's interesting. In terms of like trying to follow history and that, I was like, well, okay, well, Romans. Romans were a massive part of like European history and where we sort of move on from because they became Christian and then that would then influence the majority mm. of Europe. And I was thinking like, oh, where does where what was their stance and things like that? And it was things like, uh, whilst the Greeks were like, oh, you could go off and kind of do what you like and whatnot. Um, once you were married, that was it. Like you are together, kind of thing. You should just is that stay in together. Uh, no, that's Rome. So apparently Rome, Romans yeah. got to a point where you, know, you stay together as a family unit. However, they had a similar thing like that Dionysus festival where you could just get absolutely wanked and fucked up and do what you kind of want. Um, I, like I don't swinging, know, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know if this involved uh, married people, but like definitely single people could just go and sleep with whoever they want and get fucked up and try a bit of everything and anything. I, I guarantee um, you there's people listening to this nodding their head going, that sounds like a good time. And fair. <laughs> it, it kind well, of does. They may have liked ancient Greece, so um, it wasn't just the men. Uh, ancient Greek women also engaged in homosexual acts with quite uh, frequent, uh, well, just quite frequently. Uh, with their husbands off to war a lot, it was known for them to engage in lesbian acts with sex workers or friends. In fact, it is thought that we get the word lesbian from the island of Lesbos in Greece, where the famous ancient poet Sappho was from. Which is an interesting fact. I didn't know if you knew that. that. that no, that does that does make sense. Because every time I've said the word lesbos, I've always thought of lesbians. But it's nice to know they actually link. <laughs> yeah, when I was a kid, I, I, I'd have heard it. I'd have giggled. <laughs> because if you, it's probably derogatory now. But back in my school days, if you wanted to call someone a lesbian, you'd call them a lesbo. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that was true. Now um, we mentioned Sappho. Sappho was a notable lesbian at the time, uh, with the majority of her writings being about her love affairs with women. So she was a celebrated lesbian as far as we know and i think that's really cool yeah i suppose if your husband's not there you've still got needs haven't you that's it so what happened if throughout human history we're all about the free love when did that stop and why are we only now in the 21st century rediscovering sex again religion (laughs) (laughs) i mean it is 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 the answer isn't it that is my ted talk done uh, I won't even delve into it now. We don't need in, to. No, but we will. In my opinion, religion is the answer. I'm certain I've mentioned this on a previous episode, but with the rise of Christianity in Europe two millennia ago, there came to be a thing called original sin, the theological view that since Eve was tempted by the serpent, she performed the first ever sin going against God's command not to eat from the tree of knowledge. But since Adam had to procreate with Eve, he himself was committing a sin by having sex with a sinner. Therefore, all offspring of a woman would be born into sin, 
since the female species is descendant of Eve, the original sinner. That makes sense? It also... Yeah, it, make, it makes a lot of sense, because it also shows you where sort of sexism has come from. Ta-da! Yeah, bang on. They always thought that the lady was the lesser fucking sex, because they were like, well, Eve was the one that fucked up first. Da-da-da. You know, all right, fine. But if then if you genuinely believe that we have all descended from these two fucking... Two people... Mm, I don't know. Then there's a lot of incest going on. But then on the same sort of track, isn't it like a stupid amount of Europe has descended from Genghis Khan? Oh, for sure, for sure. Because I he, just, um, he was prolific. As you can probably imagine, researching this episode, um, my history, my search history, is, involves the word sex quite a bit. Uh, yeah, I came across, your girlfriend. Yeah, well, I, I already <laughs> messaged her and was like, "Look, I'm researching an episode on a guy called Marquis de Sade. There's a lot of sex involved. My search history is <laughs> fucked." <laughs> um, so, uh, I came across this video about a guy from like does a religious channel like Christianity or whatnot, and it was why did God allow incest in the Bible? And it's like, yeah, because it's a massive fucking topic, a massive blooper bit in your book that's mm. like, you know, incest is wrong, all right, but why did God allow it? Yeah. And and then he's like, right, if you look at Adam and Eve and you look at, like, Moses and his daughters and all this blah, 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 yes, there is incest, right? And he's like, incest is wrong. We know that it's wrong. It causes genetic defects, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, but in these instances, they had to do it. Therefore, it's not incest. And you're like, call it what you like, it's still fucking incest. Moses is still shagging his daughters to procreate. That's wrong. If, if right, I'm going to put this into modern day context. I don't have a sister, so I can use this analogy without feeling weird. <laughs> if I was in, like, a bunker at the end of the world, nukes have gone off everywhere. We don't know how many people are left. It's just me and my imaginary sister. And I look her in the eye and go, well, I guess we've got to, like repopulate the earth that's wrong that's so fucked up yeah it is so it, it is it, and at that point i don't have to do that i can let humanity die and it is probably for the best it probably would be for the best because you got where you were at that point anyway it's gonna happen again yeah. um but yeah he was claiming it's like oh because they're in this situation they had no other option therefore it's okay and it's not considered incest and you're like right you're just making it you're just basically like covering your eyes and saying oh i can't see it therefore it's it's fine and also god is supposed to be the almighty who has control of everything and he's like oh they had no choice they could they were literally talking to god for like a week before saying oh yeah moses is going to rain for the next 40 days you might want to build a boat (laughs) thanks god at any point can you be like could you bring me another woman at least and he's like no (laughs) you've got three daughters make the most of it you know oh no anyways yeah so sorry carrying on this belief meant that a lot of god-fearing people and let's be real that is a lot of people in the last two thousand years feared women to a degree Ta-da, we bring up the sexism now they were seen as the lesser sex and to sleep with them was to piss off god so sex became a thing that was purely for procreation sex for any other reason was to be avoided However, for most people, sex can be quite fun, and this was the temptation a good Christian soul was trying to fight against. Now, you also have religious scripture telling you that sex between a man and a woman is wrong. So, fast forward a few hundred years, and we have a society that is hardwired to see sex as a taboo. And those that don't quite fit the mould are condemned to either live their lives in secret or pretend to be something they're not. And this 
is a world that we are inhabiting in today's subject. Mm. So, let's meet him. Meet Donatien Alphonse Francois de Sade. And yes, we are in France this week, so get ready for some questionable French pronunciation, <laughs> although I have tried my best. <laughs> Born on the 2nd of June, 1740, in Paris... Donatien was the only living child born to Jean-Baptiste Francois jo Joseph and Eleanor de May. Now, Jean-Baptiste was a count among the French nobility, a soldier commanding a light cavalry and a diplomat. His mother, Eleanor, was a distant cousin to the Prince of Conde, a line from the royal Bourbon family. She was a lady-in-waiting and of very good stock. Now, between Jean-Baptiste and Eleanor, they suffered the death of two of their children before Donatien was born. So his father, being an active part of the French court, was away a lot, and typical of high-born fathers, didn't really care for his son in so much as he only wanted him to be healthy enough to marry and pass on the family name. And his mother wasn't much better either. Having lost two of her children, she was consumed by grief. Living in the deepest pits of depression, she saw Donatien as a living reminder of the children she lost. She was pretty hands-off with him and kept to herself. Now, being brought up into the wealthy nobility, Donatien was being raised by the household servants and maids, but it was his mother's attention that he craved. He would spend a lot of his time trying to console his mother, but it never worked. Instead, he changed tact and became a little shit to try and get her attention. Knowing he was the heir to his family name, he very quickly learned his own importance and that being part of the nobility meant that he had people to serve him. He started acting out being horrible to those trying to take care of him, but this did not get the attention he craved, so he took it up a step further. Being part of the noble bloodline, it was not uncommon for young princes to spend time with the smaller houses to meet people and learn to socialise, and the Dessard family on this occasion were hosting a young prince of Conde. Being younger than Donatien, he saw himself as better than the prince, and they got into fights often, with Donatien taking it too far, giving the prince a proper good hiding. Now, this is totally unacceptable at the time, no one was liking it at all, but still, his mother did not care. Instead, she would go on to abandon the family to live in a convent, because she could only find uh, solace in faith. That was it. She was like, no, nah, God, live in a convent. She just couldn't be asked a parent. Well, she went through a lot. She lost two kids, and she just clearly never got over it. And I don't want a victim blame in that sense, you know what I mean? She's going through a horrible phase. But, and I imagine her husband's not that fucking helpful in this instance either. No, nah, but yeah. Now, for Donatian, he must have felt completely abandoned, and it may go some way to explain why he goes on to become the person we meet later. Now, as punishment, Donatian is forced by his father to leave Paris, and he sends him away to live with his uncle, the Abbé de Sade, at the home estate in Provence. Now, an abbé is the French name for abbot, which is a person of the cloth, a religious person, and it was thought that living with his religious uncle might help to curb Donatian's rebellious streak. Instead, as Donatian would later write, it was his uncle who, quote, introduced him to debauchery. Oh dear. Oh dear. It's always the uncle, isn't it? It's it is, the uncle. isn't it? It is, yeah. What is it with uncles? Maybe they see it... F maybe for them it's like, 
they it's further it's farther uh, farther enough farther away enough that they're like yeah, this is fine <laughs> yeah maybe still wrong oh Stop i'm not it. trying to defend it i'm just <laughs> saying, trying to make sense of it james that's the whole point of the show <laughs> Uh, there is no sense in it. Stop having sex with your nieces and nephews. Yes, just stop that. If you're doing it now, stop it. Uh, Enough. Oh God. Uh, now, aged only six, Donassian had gone from living in a luxurious palace in the heart of Paris to an old fortress in the countryside with wide open spaces, and it was a completely new world for the young man. Now, I just want to take a second to be like, there is something to be said about being outdoors in the country that I just think is good for kids. Like, I think it's a fantastic thing to be around and it's great for the imagination because you've got cities which are built up areas. They're defined by rules and regulations which you can learn but you can't play with. But nature, nature doesn't have that. Nature does what it wants and you can do almost anything in the countryside and your imagination can run wild. Like, yeah, I completely agree. Like, I, I think even now as adults, getting out in nature is so important. I, I genuinely, I don't want to get all spiritual about this because that's not who I am, but I genuinely believe, like grounding yourself in nature is so yeah. important for like you as a like i love walking in like woods or forests or whatever i, I think we covered this i think it's it's summed up really well in the jr tolkien episode throwback that was one of the first we ever fucking wow. recorded yeah. um because he grew up in sareholm mill which is 10 minutes down the road from me and that you uh, back then was like wide open spaces countryside um, beautiful, beautiful place, and that's where he based the Shire, which, if you've seen Lord of the Rings, is this, like, everyone's really content, loving life, and then he was moved to the centre of Birmingham, which, if you live in the UK, you know, is a shithole, and I can say that, because that's where I'm from, uh-uh. and that's where he based, like, Mordor, and mm. suddenly there's all these rules, it's grey, it's bleak, there's so many people, and I think that really sums up sort of nature versus cities. Don't I love cities, I love cities, but I can go fucking stir crazy if I don't get out in nature enough. So I do think it's good for development in both children and adults. No, I agree. I agree. Like you say, not to be all Russell Brand about it, but like actually being around trees and just listening to nature and it's nice. It's lovely. It's really nice. And I'm lucky enough to where I live in Essex. Essex, for the most part, is farmland. (laughs) There is very small areas that are actually a bit industrialised, and I happen to live in one of those. But because of where I live, I'm literally like 10 minutes away from any field or like big open space. And you just get in your car, go there and just then spend your day in the field. It's lovely. It's nice. I think it's one of the the why people love Central Park in New York as well. Like obviously the park is beautiful and it's, it's this incredible thing. But if you've been in New York all day and it's so crazy and then suddenly you find yourself in this greenery where you can't really hear the city anymore everything's just heightened because it's such a contrast to what you've been used to. Yeah, no, for sure. Now, for Dinassian, it meant that his imagination could go absolutely wild. The forests around the family estate could be filled with fantastical animals and beasts only heard of in legend. The nights were pitch black, and in that world, anything could be out there, scary monsters hiding behind trees in the blackness. Stories of witch hunts and magicians around the local area were rife everywhere. And there was also country festivals that had been going on for generations. In fact, they'd been going on for so long there were still elements of paganism involved in these events. That's how old they were. And they were still happening in the countryside. And these festivals, to give you a sense of it, these festivals involved devils running around and kids had to chase them and things like that. But... And this is where it gets weird, I think. 
the devils had uh, <laughs> oddly descriptive the devils had three feet long phalluses that would be wrapped around their bodies that's how long they were they'd wrap them around themselves and the children would then like run around the woods on the hunt looking for these uh, well endowed devils trying to grab them by their members that's what the kids were doing running around sort of like getting excited about doing all this so it's all very odd right and in fact that was odd that was seen as odd by the end quote enlightened city dwellers of paris at the time as well um but i do find that oddly interesting that like they explained that you know these devils and these devils have very long penises like it's mm. even for the, the kids they're aware of what this is and yeah. the importance potentially behind it is it's rather bizarre it's interesting why you bring up paganism because i think especially back in the what was it 1000s 900s 800s the the war between christianity and like paganism was fucking rife if if you look back at sort of the viking invasion of england that essentially was paganism versus christianity and christianity won in the end and like to be one or the other was sort of outrageous it was yeah i don't know where i'm going with this but yeah, well, but, but but that's why pagans nowadays are still sort of frowned upon because obviously in the UK we're a Christian society and if mm. like pagans link with fucking witchcraft and, and all sorts, like it's still embedded in people. If you came up to a Christian in the UK today and went, I'm a pagan, they would look at you weird. Whereas if you went up to someone and said, I'm a Christian, they'd be like, yeah, fine. Yeah. But why yeah. is one worse than the other? Well, I think it's because it's then a thousand years of just telling everyone that paganism's awful and wrong and it's devilry and all that kind of stuff. And now we think that too but actually it's not it's all about sort of nature and being one with it and just sort of being attuned to the world you live in so i, I love that paganism is true that, that is all coming back now that people are trying to clear away from this sort of bollocksy mainland religions of just like oh these are the rules this is the book you're like no fuck off i just want to be around nature and doesn't have to be a deity that nature itself could be the god you worship and enjoy yeah it it doesn't have to be a religious experience you can appreciate the earth for what it is and it's beautiful yeah now it turns out that donassian's uncle was not the kind of priest with much of a, a a moral high ground his uncle was a libertine, which was, at the time, a movement of people who believed that they were free thinkers, free to indulge in all of their thoughts and desires of the physical and of the mind. And his uncle was very good at bending the priestly rules. See, his uncle had several mistresses who visited the uh, family home quite often. Now, young Donassian, still under the age of 10 and free to wander the estate as he pleased, was like a mouse walking the corridors. He was unseen. But he saw plenty. He was witness to his uncle with his mistresses on many occasions, and he became a bit of a voyeur silently watching. Mm. Which, it's not his uncle's fault, because I suppose his uncle's at his own home trying to do whatever, Young Donassians wandering around and just catching it all the time. And it got to the point where he was actively looking for it at some points. Lock your door. Well, I don't even know if the uncle knows he's there. Yeah, fair. I've not, so far, I've found nothing to say that he knew about it or was introducing him to it. It's just that Donassian saw it very early, almost like, you know. Yeah, he he just he caught his uncle having sex and then was like, I want to keep watching this. And it's just yeah. weird. In fact, uh, Donassian would later write about his uncle saying, quote, 
priest though he is, he still keeps a pair of trollops in his house. Is his chateau a seraglio? No. Better, it is a bordello. <laughs> That's now, quite witty. It is quite witty, isn't it? Now, not brilliant for a kid under 10 to be watching his uncle playing around with his mistresses. It also changed his opinion on faith in general. He saw his uncle playing the doting priest in public, but saw what he was like in private as being very, very fucking different. What he developed was a dislike for the faith, seeing all priests as hypocrites, and in private, renounced his belief in Christianity. This guy became a vehement fucking atheist straight out after that. It would be quite jarring, though, wouldn't it? Because the person who's preaching to you, who's supposed to be in tune with God, clearly doesn't buy it themselves and is going yeah. against the teachings. Yeah. Well, this is this weird, like, sort of cultural movement where, like, you know, he has this priest who's been taught all this stuff, but he's also a libertine and he believes that he has three thought and he can do what he wants. And if he wants to have sex, he should be allowed to have sex. And, like, it's weird that this, you hear the word libertine. And it becomes about sex, but it's supposed to have been about more. It's almost like you think of communism, you think of bad stuff. And you're like, no, but it it had grander plans. It was supposed to be something else. Yeah, it just failed. Now, I'm not sure if Donatian's father knew about any of this, but at the age of 10, he was allowed to move back to Paris to join a college for young boys ran by Jesuit priests, which I imagine wasn't much better. Mm. He spent four years there before living with his father and joining an elite military school where he trained to be a leader of men as a sub-lieutenant aged 14. Can you imagine just being one of those like peasants that got called up to the military and your fucking lieutenant's 14 years old and you're like, right... Thanks. I'd be I'd be furious. I mean, yeah. it, it it kind of happens now, doesn't it? If you're born into the right family, you get fast tracks to. I I remember once I was speaking to a, a friend of mine years ago, joined the joined the military. Um, and like, if you went to uni, you could go into the military as an officer straight away. Yeah. And he was like, the officers that did that get bullied mercilessly because they yeah. haven't earned it. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and I I completely agree with it. If I'm honest. Yeah. Now, keeping with the theme of terrible adults, his father was also a libertine, believing that he had the freedom to do as he pleased. Now, 15 years old, Donassian's father believed he was old enough to be with a woman. Now, what's weird is that it was his dad who procured the women for him. What's weirder still is that the women were his own mistresses that he was still sleeping with, which means that... dad's sloppy seconds. He was getting his dad's sloppy seconds. Father and son were sharing the same women. No, that's there's been a. I mean, every majority of what's been said in this episode has been wrong, but that that's still that's not good. And are you ready for a grim quote? Please. Jean Baptiste Donatian's father wrote about one of the women, saying, "Quote: She does not find me too old, nor my son too young." For fuck's sake. <sighs> She's just. I don't, what's the, what's that stepbrother's quote? Once you're done with the old bull, you want some of the young car. That's <laughs> fun. <laughs> like, like, come on, Jean Baptiste, you are a wealthy man. Go find like some other women that are not yours. Like, just, oh man, they've got money as well. There, yeah. there would have been plenty. Women yeah. didn't have rights back in them days, and they've got money. They could have picked anyone. Oh, that's grim. Now, if there was a way to do maths with the human experience, it might go something like this. Donassian plus terrible role models, plus being sexualized at an early age, plus having a sense of grandiose uh, about oneself, equals a potential fucking arsehole. 
that is the maths that we're doing with this this is what he will become now let's very briefly talk about his military experience too and i mean briefly uh donassian spent nine years in the military uh he served during the seven years war in america between britain and france and while there he discovered something about himself one of the punishments for disobedience was flagellation the act of beating someone with either a whip cat and nine tails or a rod Donassian discovered that he quite enjoyed watching and performing this punishment on others and became fascinated with it, developing a rather fun kink that he would go on to use in almost all of his sexual experiences going forward. That's how you get it, isn't it? I've always wondered how these people who like being like beaten find out about it, but I guess this is one of the ways. That's one of the ways. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewellery, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Now, on his return from military service, he was a horned-up 23-year-old who was dropping his pants at every opportunity. He was following in his father's footsteps in becoming a true libertine, indulging in all of his base desires. His father, however, ever more concerned with the continuation of his name, forced Donassian to marry. He cared not what Donassian did in his own time, but he will be wed and produce heirs that will carry on the legacy of the Dessard family. In 1763... 23-year-old Donassian married 22-year-old René Pelagie de Montreuil. She was the daughter of a rather wealthy magistrate. The Montreuil family were a very prestigious family who had great contacts with court. It was a fine match to be sure and for René she could not have been a better match for him. She was obsessed with the handsome Donassian. Unfortunately her new husband did not share her feelings. He had already tried to court her sister, but her father did not approve, instead arranged for René to marry him instead. Donassian continued in his wild behaviour, but it was getting worse. Remember, Donassian is the son of the noble elite, who when growing up was never told no. He has it learnt that whatever he wants, he gets. Those not in his social class are his to torment, and just four months into married life, he did just that. Now, warning. The rest of this episode is going to contain descriptions of assaults of a sexual nature. Um, that's just a very vague uh, warning for the rest of the episode, because it's going to come up every now and then. Donassian procured himself a sex worker. There he made his intentions clear. He wanted to engage in anal sex with her. She refused, but Donassian did not like being told no. He locked her in his apartment and asked her if she was a religious woman. She expressed that she was. 
Donassian then went on a wild rampage. Now we know that he despises God and the faith, so if he couldn't defile the sex worker in the way he'd initially intended, he would do it with his words. He went on a tirade denouncing her faith, claiming that there was no God, and making obscene claims about Jesus and the Virgin Mary. Continuing to debase her faith, he stripped naked and began masturbating using a cross in his hand. He was then stamping on another cross on the floor and eventually finished inside of a church chalice. But it didn't stop there. He ordered the sex worker to beat him with a cane which had been heated with fire and then forced her to stamp on a crucifix while shouting, quote, Bastard, I don't give a fuck about you. The whole ordeal lasted 12 hours before he let her go. She immediately reported it to the authorities, who would then arrest Donassian, who was then held in prison. While there, he wrote many letters expressing his regrets and the need for a priest, and after 15 days, the king ordered his release. Now, that whole ordeal... It's... it's, For her, that is traumatising. Yeah. Like... I think it's important to think it's important to remind ourselves how much people believe in their faith at that time like it could be seen as funny to be like mugging off her religion in that way but like she took that so seriously and that is her life and all of a sudden there's this guy who just doesn't give a fuck as far as she's concerned she's in the room with an actual devil who can do this stuff because no one else would be doing this yeah yeah. Like, it's fucking mortifying for this woman. Terrifying to be in the room with him. 12 hours as well. Yeah, of just, like, awful just behaviour from him. Mm. Now, it is interesting to note that, and we will see this happen again, right, but the behaviour Donassian is arrested for would likely get a person of a lesser class killed for blasphemy. But since Donassian is of the upper nobility, he somehow gets away with it with a slap on the wrist. Yeah. As is always the way. And it's shit like that that causes the French Revolution. Oh, yeah. Because they're fed up with fucking high nobility taking the fucking piss and not getting anything, no repercussions for their actions and all this kind of shit. Wait, where are we now? Are we, like, pushing the latter 1700s? Yes, we are very close to the French Revolution. In fact, the French Revolution happens in this timeline. Oh, okay, so Napoleon's around the corner. He just is sort of involved wheel, in this story. Wheeling his fucking guillotine slowly towards him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, Napoleon will turn up in this. Nice. Good. By 1767, Donassian's role model father died, meaning he was now the Comte de Sade, the official title of Count. Now, the title of the episode is the Marquis de Sade, but I've at no point mentioned the word, so why is he called it? Well, you know me, I like to hyper-focus on the silliest of things when I write these episodes, which is probably why they take twice as long to write, but regardless, I looked up all of the French nobility and their ranks, and it turns out it's a fucking mess. (laughs) And I mean it, right? It's a weird world. You can be a prince and not be of the royal family or have any claim to the throne at all, but you can be given the title of prince, and I still don't understand why. No, that's interesting, because Prince, to me, you need to be in line, at least in line for the throne at some point. Yeah, but you could not even be a part of the family, and you could be given the title of Prince, and you think, okay, cool. So there are princes that will have popped up in the history or in the story and whatnot, who may not have actually been in any way royal, 
they just have the title. It's really bizarre world. That's really interesting. That's the classic French for you, though, isn't it? They don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, which is why there was a hundred years war of just fucked up shit. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> this guy says he's a prince, and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> now, um, I found out that you can be, um, or well, no, I found out that to be a count, or as the French call it, comte, uh, that would be a person who governed a particular region. And a marquis was a courageous defender of territorial borders. Now, I think that meant that they would be military men who fought for the preservation of France. Like, you'd, you'd be on the border with Germany and you sort of just, like, defend that. Um, right, okay. So, they would literally, like, be the people that define the demarcations of borders and territories. So, yeah. actually, I was looking at it and I was like, oh, hold on a minute. Uh, demarcation markation becomes marquee right surely yeah, yeah, makes or sense, mar- marquee becomes markation yeah and then the title of marquee was often given over by the king himself so it was a very prestigious thing now the Dassard family were able to use both but they most often used the word comte instead of marquee but because people were like oh that sounds better that's where the name stuck now, Donassian would go on to be infamously known as the Marquis de Sard, but I will refer to Donassian as de Sard from now on. On Easter, on Easter Sunday, 1772, de Sard performed one of his most shocking sexual crimes. While walking the streets of Paris, he came across a 36-year-old German widow named Rose Keller. She was poor, begging on the street for money. De Sard saw this as an opportunity. He approached her nicely and promised her a job in his home as a cleaner. She would have a bed, she'd have food and pay, and she couldn't believe her luck. So she rode with him in a carriage to this estate. Mere minutes into being in the estate, Dessard disappeared, leaving Rose to stand there waiting. When he reappeared, he was wearing nothing but a long waistcoat and a scarf around his head. Dessard bound Rose Keller and proceeded to whip her while screaming at her, saying, quote, Get ready to die. Confess yourself. Over the next two days, Dessard would continue to whip and abuse Rose Keller, with the worst of it supposedly being when Dessard cut Rose on her back, bottom and thighs and poured hot wax into her wounds. It's a common one, wax, isn't it? Yeah. Rose genuinely thought she was going to die. She escaped when Dessard left the house briefly and Rose jumped out of a window and told literally every single person she ran past, Dessard is abusing me, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Dessard was arrested and held in prison once again. This time, though, his crimes were more shocking. And also for a really odd reason, not only had he escalated his assault, he had done it on Easter Sunday, a holy day. A holy day for Catholic France. No, you don't do that, mate. To give you a sense of how serious the French were, and again, this will help, I think, explain when he said to that lady earlier, 12 hours of just, like, debasing her faith. This is how serious the French were. The French were able to get accurate census data on their population based on the communion that would be taken on Easter Sunday because every French person attended the church. There was no one else outside they were in yeah. church. You could count every single person and get a very, very good idea of how many people are actually in the country. So for Dessard to do this on one of the holiest of days is blatant blasphemy. Yeah, it's not good. 
In fact, it was such a scandal that almost for the first time in France, public opinion was important. People were so outraged by this deed that Dessard, who to most had never been heard of, was now on the lips of every Frenchman. His behaviour was riling up the populace who saw all nobility as the same. Even his own kind, the Libertines, rejected him for this behaviour. Now, after seven months of detention, Dessard was released, thanks in part to his mother-in-law. She may not have agreed with any of her son-in-law's antics, but she wouldn't, she'd be damned if he would drag her family through the mud. So she did all she could to silence the rumour and scandal. Now, he was banished from Paris and forced to retire back to his ancestral home in Provence. Now, there he discovered a lifelong love of the theatre. Mm. So much so that at great expense, he had a theatre built in his home. He put on plays, he adapted novels, he would be the writer, director, actor, and even stagehand in some of his productions. He would just sit on the side and be like, right, you need this shirt, I'm going to put the shirt on you. He'd do that. He absolutely loved the theatre. He liked the theatre. Oh, massively. He would do anything. He'd be the prop guy and just be like, hand him a cup. That's what they need next. He'll do it if he's not on, if he's not on stage now. Mm. Now, weirdly, despite his horrific sex crimes, nobles from all over came to see his shows. It's almost like they forgot about his past. Maybe they, maybe they wanted to see him just sort of do better and they were trying yeah. to encourage this new venture and be like, well, listen, if he wants to put all his energies into this, let's at least support it so he's not being a bellend. Yeah. Now, it seemed to work. Back at his ancestral home, surrounded by his wife, two sons and daughter, he seemed to be calmed of his violent temperament. But it didn't last long. In 1772, aged 32, Dessard, along with his manservant Latour, headed to Marseille to collect some money owed to him. While in Marseille, Dessard's urges came back. Being a port city, people came and went and there were brothels and sex workers aplenty. Dessard procured four women for himself and Latour. During their ordeal, Dessard whipped them and forced them to whip him too. He then requested anal sex, which two of the women obliged. The other two refused, although they did engage with the manservant in that manner. He then made them take little pills that were supposedly an aphrodisiac. Now, we don't know if they were or not, but what we do know is that they were rumoured to loosen the bottom region. Right, Which is odd that he has them. And, like, we've seen this happen a few times now. Dessard is quite fascinated by the bottom. He likes he likes anal. He does like that, and he's got pills that supposedly help loosen that area, like in the early mm. era poppers. Yeah, um, yeah. But it turns out that it maybe not maybe wasn't just for that part. That it, it, it seems to have come out that Dessard rather enjoyed watching people fart, and by giving them these pills, they like obviously their bottom is now loosened to the point where they can't necessarily hold it in, and they just fart almost uncontrollably. Whenever their body does it, it just farts, yeah, and he almost seems. Yeah, he seemed to like get a kick out of it, and it's. I think it's because he's enjoying watching someone be embarrassed. Yeah. Now, instead of becoming some sexed-up animals that Dessard was hoping for, the women began to feel ill and uncomfortable. Not able to get what he wanted from them, Dessard decided to shock the ladies. Instead, he performed sexual acts with his manservant Latour in front of the women. The women thought that they'd been poisoned and believed there was also a murderous tone to the ordeal. They filed a complaint to the authorities detailing everything, including the homosexual acts. 
Now, homosexuality was illegal in France at this time and was punishable by death. Add on the charges of poisoning and Dessard was a wanted man. Dessard and Latour fled to Italy, but not on their own. Dessard took with him his sister-in-law, the younger sister of his wife, who he courted before his marriage. The one he originally wanted. The one he originally wanted, which is a bit of a kick in the teeth to your wife. Yeah. Now, while in hiding in Italy, a court ruled that Dessard was a menace and that his blatant disregard for common decency could not go on. He was sentenced to death in absentia. Now, I don't really understand this next bit. Since Dessard was on the run, they could not execute a man that they didn't have, so instead they burned an effigy of the pair in a public square. Because that will tell them. I suppose it's just a shit like a warning, isn't it? Like this all happened to you, and it's a, to show the public they're not going to stand for it anymore. Yeah, I suppose so. I suppose that does kind of make sense. Uh, maybe make more of an effort to go get him. I don't know if they can, but. If I don't think you just wade into Italy. No, that's a very good point. His mother-in-law was fucking furious, as you can imagine. She'd bailed him out several times, but time and time again, he mugged off her daughter, grandchildren, and her family legacy. She was done with it. She sent out men to find him. Dessard was on the run for five years before sneaking back into France and living at his home with his doting wife. And this is the weird bit, right? I genuinely feel sorry for his wife. She is besotted by this man. She absolutely adores him. And despite being the second choice, she stood by her man and she loved him. And yet she doesn't, he doesn't even seem to acknowledge her existence half the time and treats her like a doormat. Mm. In fact, um, like she covers for him. He's at his ancestral home. And then they're like, right, have you heard from Dessard? Have you got any letters or anything? And she's like, no, I haven't heard from him. And yet he's Bless. like in the in the wall. She's just yeah. I don't know. She's, she's infatuated. She really is. Um, in fact, Dassard writes a letter to her later in life while he's in prison, um, saying, "Quote: Imperious, choleric, irascible, extreme in everything, with a dissolute imagination, the like of which has never been seen. Atheistic to the point of fanaticism. There you have me in a nutshell." Either kill me or take me as I am, for I shall not change. Now, there's being aware of your flaws and then there's trying to make excuses for them. Yeah. He's a, he's a, he's a twat, to put it yeah. in a word. Yeah, he's like, I'm a twat. That's who I am, though. You either I love can't, me I or can't not. I can't stand people who do that. It really fucks me off. When people are just bad people, I'm like, yeah, but like, it's just me, isn't it? Like, uh. just cha- simply change. Yeah, when like you'll get some, oh, these are the worst. I'm like, I can't help it. I'm an Aries. It's like, no, you're a twat. <laughs> yeah. Or, or drama follows me everywhere. Assess why. Yeah. Like, look inwards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, acknowledge you've been a bell end and try and change. Yeah, because you're just, you're just grating on everyone around you. Mm. Now, while hiding out in his home, he engaged in orgies while his wife was present. Like, this guy's an arsehole. He doesn't change. He doesn't mm. do anything. He's just doing this in front of his wife. And she's just like, oh, I feel bad. He'd put on small shows, which were just like little home shows. It's not for everyone else, because obviously, remember, he's hiding. He would put on small shows where he would perform stage sex acts on young, quote, actors mm. who were between the ages of 14 and 16. Um, 
and one father of the quote actors came to the house pulled a gun on Dassard uh, luckily enough for Dassard the gun misfired and uh, the old man was sent packing uh, and so was Dassard at that point because he fled to Italy because like, everyone knew he was back now, finally, in 1777, age 37, he was made aware that his mother was gravely ill in Paris and he made attempts to see her. It was, however, a trick. His mother had died years before and he'd not been made aware of it. He, he was captured and thanks to the work of his mother-in-law, he was imprisoned without charge or trial. She, was, she used her connections to have the king sign something called a letter de cachet, um, which was basically saying the king says he needs to go to prison, therefore he's now in prison. That's it. No trial, nothing. Just you get locked got up. Ultimate power. The king's got ultimate power, and and the mother-in-law was like, "Nah, man, you're a twat. I'll get fucking locked <laughs> up, mate." She hated her son-in-law so much she got the king of France to lock him up in prison without a trial. Like that is a baller move. Yeah. Now prison was quite tricky for Dassard. Due to his status as a noble, he was entitled to furniture, a bed, and other precious commodities. However, he was completely alone. Isolation was not good for Dassard. Being a man who evidently craved physical attention, being isolated was tantamount to tortured for him. He still craved his violent sexual impulses. In fact, and this is fucking odd, he actually managed to secure one or two sex workers during his stint in prison, which when you're in prison for being a bit of a sex pest, you shouldn't be allowed to have that. Um, yeah, money, it? Money talks. But that still wasn't enough for him. Since he was being watched by guards, he could not enact his wild fantasies. He could just only have straight sex. And he was like, oh, that's not really what I'm looking for here. So what he started doing was Dessart took to autoerotic asphyxiation, which, if anyone doesn't know, is the uh, the act of suffocating yourself to get a sexual kick. But that didn't work either, because it wasn't causing pain to himself that he got pleasure from. It was enacting pain on others, which is a term that would go on to be used for people such as him. That term being sadique, or as we say it, sadist, after mm. Dessard himself. Oh, there you go. There you go. Dessard was a sadist. <laughs> Makes sense. It does now. I like that we've getting some etymology of words in this episode. <laughs> now, while in prison, he became a prolific letter writer, writing over 500 letters to his wife. Why his wife? Because everyone else fucking hated the shitbag and wouldn't talk to him. Now, after years in solitude with no end in sight, Dessard's only form of escapism was his imagination. In 1784, he was transferred to the Bastille prison in Paris, and in 1785, began work on his magnus opus, 120 Days of Sodom, which was painstakingly written by Dessard. He had to hide his manuscript from the guards of the Bastille in a tiny crack in the wall. He loved it so much, he wasn't allowed to write. He was like, this is, needs to be out there, so he did that. Now, I won't lie to you. This book is fucking graphic with a capital G. And when I started researching this episode and learning about this book, I was shocked that a man of this era wrote it. And it, 
I'll be to put to put it bluntly, this book would not be out of place on the shelf next to such films as the Serbian film or Human Centipede. Nice. There's a good indicator for where this book sort of sits. Yeah, that's gross. Now it is hard to sum up this book, but I will try. Um, I'll be honest; I don't want to get too deep into it just because it's fucking grim. Um, but if you are interested, of course, there's a good couple of YouTube links that like explain it. People that have read it and reviewed it. Four libertine men, an aristocrat, a judge, a bishop, and a banker enter a secluded medieval castle along with four old sex workers and a number of victims who they intend to abuse over the course of 120 days while the old sex workers tell horrid tales of their time doing sex work. That's kind of it in a nutshell. Well summed up. Thank you. The book starts off with Desaad saying, quote, The time has come, friendly reader, for you to prepare your heart and mind for the most impure tale ever written. It is broken down into four sections, each detailing a new month, with it getting more depraved as it goes on. Now, the book includes, and this is just, I fucking bullet pointed the shit now. The book includes paedophilia, urine drinking, coprophagia, or the eating of feces, incest, flagellation, sacrilegious activities, rape, sodomy, homosexual acts, the skinning of children, the disembowelment of people, and murder. Nice. Yeah. Uh, All bases covered. Yeah, pretty much. In fact, I I read one... uh, I watched one review and the guy who's read it was like, it's a book that at the beginning is very shocking but as you get further into it, it actually gets quite boring because it's just they're just doing the same thing over and over again. You're like, oh, right, we're doing incest again. Okay. <laughs> you kind of get numb to it. There's so much of it in there. That's the point. Yeah. It's like Quentin Tarantino and using the N-word, isn't it? Eventually, you just get used to it. Yeah, I suppose. Now, the book is pure filth. Even the characters are described in grotesque ways. Now, I'm not going to go into it too much, but to give you an idea, James... One of the four libertines is so filthy that it adds size to his manhood. And I won't go any further than that. Wait, repeat that sentence. The man is so filthy, it adds size to his manhood. There we go. That that took a little bit for the penny to drop. (laughs) There we go. That's how grim these people are in this book. Now, Now, the book is unfinished. Thankfully, Dessard only finished the first part of the book, but he heavily details what happens in the last three parts, which is how we know all the subjects of that book. Now, the book is controversial to say the least, right? It's banned in several countries, even in the UK in the 50s it was banned. And there are people who think that it shouldn't be banned and say that it's enlightenment literature at its best. Some people say that it is a metaphor for his own incarceration, Others say that it is commentary on the French ruling class who are all corrupt. I say, fuck off and stop making excuses for this bastard. I disagree completely and think that it is the unencumbered imagination of a sadist on paper. All of Dassard's base desires are put on page for him to get off to in his lonely cell. 
It is not a commentary on anything. It is just his own dreams being said out loud in its entirety. That's as far as I'm concerned. That's what it is. No, no, no. Yeah, I completely agree. Like, you know when they say, oh, if you can't get a job, make your own job. That's what all actors do, isn't it? Like, oh, I'm not, yeah. not getting I'm not getting work at the moment. Oh, make your own work. You've got a camera. He done that. He was like, you can't get your kicks doing all this stuff. Write your own shit then. Yeah. Now, why do I say this? Well, the main reason is that he is a sexual sadist sitting in prison for acting out his sadistic fantasies. We know that he's tried to perform sadism upon himself and it didn't do it for him. Next, the next best option is to write your own shit. Let's also take a look at his medieval castle in the book that this is set in. The way that it is described is an exact detail of his own castle. He's thinking of his own fucking place. Now, you might say that he's just drawing from what he knows, but I would argue that being in the nobility, he's seen quite a few castles. He wrote what he always wanted to have happen. He even writes in the book that, quote, one should not be horrified by the 600 passions outlined in the story because everyone has their own tastes. It almost sounds like he's fucking making excuses for all of the behaviours in the book. It's, it's what he's been doing the entire time, though, isn't it? Yeah. Now, if you ask me, this is the ravings of a sexual sadist writing his deepest desires, nothing more. And do you know what's mad, James? This book is a Penguin classic. Is it actually? You can find it on the shelf at WH Smith. It is a Penguin classic. It's That's not hilarious. hidden anywhere. It's not hard to find. It's you know, just if you're like there. eighteen to buy it. I have no idea. I I don't know. Um, I never I never wrote this later on, but here's a little fact: 120 Days of Sodom was actually uh, made into a film in Italy. And it was um, the the four libertine men are uh, still libertine men, but it's based in, on fascism, and they're all fascists. Yeah. And it's towards the tail end of um, the Mussolini era in Italy. And these guys just go to the castle, and they're like, "Right, look, it's the end of the war for us. We're all going to be fucking killed soon. Let's just fucking go out on a fucking bang and live our wildest fantasies." And they just do all this mm. horrible shit. It's grim, apparently. The film is quite I mean, graphic. Yeah, it sounds it. Now, the reason this book was never finished was that in 1789, having spent 12 years in prison without charge, he was screaming out of the window to passers-by that the guards were slitting the throats of the prisoners. Dessard, aged 49, was dragged naked to an insane asylum on the outskirts of Paris. Now, it definitely wasn't the case, but temperatures were riling up for the public with the French Revolution, one of many, on the precipice. Now, Dessart screaming out of a window at the Bastille, saying that uh, prisoners are being running around and having their throats slit, was causing a bit of a ruckus outside. And the guard thought, oh, I don't really need this outside my prison right now. So he moved him to an insane asylum. Um, it's just coincidental that after a couple of days after his um, transfer, the Bastille was stormed by revolutionaries and the whole revolution kicked off. Oh, really? So he sort of missed all that? literally missed it in fact apparently they actually went into Dassard's room and if they'd gone into Dassard's room and recognized that he was a person of nobility he would have just been straight out yeah he'd he'd been murdered there and then now a year later with the revolution in full swing and both Louis XVI and Marie Antoinette soon to have their heads lopped off Dassard was released from prison since the king's letter that put him there was now invalid his wife divorced him and he was penniless this new world he entered did not care for lords, counts or marquises. He was just a citizen now, and he had to start again. He did what he knew. He wrote literature. 
Dessard would go on to write several books that are now considered to be in the pornographic genre. Having seen a few reviews of his books, he isn't a very good writer. The only way it made sense to me was that he is a writer in so much as I'm a writer. I can write, but I'm mainly just putting my thoughts onto page. Yeah. Dessard's revolution was a fairly good one on the whole. He was a writer for the revolution and seemed to publicly support it despite his history of being a nobleman. In fact, he was even elected into the National Convention in 1790, which was the first proto-government once France became a republic. Now, it seems that his crimes were forgotten, but his writings were still out there. And by 1801, Napoleon was in power, and he was not a fan of this pornographic writer, who described him as such, the most depraved of imaginations. The fact that Napoleon knows who you are and thinks you've got the most depraved imagination is quite... That's quite cool. It's a claim to fame. It's a claim to fame. So, aged 61, Dessard was imprisoned once again without trial in the insane asylum. He would live out the rest of his life there, 13 years in total. While there, he indulged in his passion for theatre, putting on shows with his fellow patients. Um, when doing research for this episode and we got to this part of it where they were like, well, I found out that he was putting on theatre shows. One person described it as being like, um, oh, it was like an early art therapy for him and his fellow people. And you're like, no, fuck off. He's just fucking doing what he wants. He's just like, oh, I like theatre. Can we just put on a show? And then he's just getting his like, fellow people just do what he wants. He's like, he likes directing people, doesn't he? Yeah. Now, while in the asylum, he's still got his end away. The 70-year-old, 70-year-old, struck up a sexual relationship with one of the daughters of the employees at the asylum. She was 14. He's 70. Yes, it's fucked. But also, like, he's clearly good with words. He's good at something. Mm. Somewhere. Now, that actually lasted four years. He stayed with this girl for four years. He was 74. Ugh. Now, it lasted four years until his death, and this is the shit I'm on about. The guy doesn't change. He's a sexual predator through and through, end of. No ifs, nor buts, nor maybes. He's not like an interesting man in that sense and a revolutionary or this shit. No, he is a sexual predator, end of. Mm. Until the bitter end. Donatien Alphonse Francois Marquis de Sars died on the 2nd of December, 1814, aged 74. He had left instructions for his body to be left in the room he died in for 48 hours before they were to bury it in one of his old properties and asked that his body not be touched by anyone. But he didn't get what he wanted. He was buried <laughs> He was buried in the asylum grounds and his head was taken away for research using phrenology. I mean, fair, yeah, you need to inspect that man's brain. Yeah. Now, we've been on a wild journey. But I want to explain why we went through the history of sex at the beginning. And apologies if this comes across the wrong way, and I will try and explain it if it doesn't. Despite Dassard's clearly paedophilic behaviour, his other proclivities are kind of normal nowadays, if not a little extreme. He is a sexual sadist, someone who gets off on causing pain and humiliating people. While that's not for many people, it is for some, and they, there are healthy ways of expressing that in today's world. There are people who are dominant and submissives. What I'm saying is that if he were around today, 
he may have been able to find a way of expressing himself in a healthy manner and may not have gone on to commit the crimes he did. He might have still, but I tell you what didn't help was living in a sexually repressive society that meant you couldn't learn about yourself. You had to suppress, and sometimes if you suppress for too long, it explodes. Mm. Who knows? I'm just happy that we live in a world where one can explore themselves in a healthy way and we've become more tolerant of all kinds of sex. This is the thing. I think people need a way to sort of express themselves sexually in a safe environment. Otherwise, what you've said, they explode. Like When I was in Germany last September, um, I was shocked. We walked past a cinema and it was a sex cinema. You go in there, you watch porn, you jack off and you leave. Yeah. As an Englishman, that's fucking weird. We don't have that. That would be seen as like no no. But over there, like I, I don't know the statistics, but it's t- it, it like lessens sexual assault, it lessens rape because people have a place to go to sort of get their kicks, get get it out and carry on with their day. Yeah. Um, for sure. why I also think like sex work should be legalized and regulated because it happens yeah. anyway, so you may as well regulate it and make sure it's safe. Now, like I not off the top of my head, I don't have the figures, but as far as I am aware, uh, in 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 the Netherlands, sex work is legal. It you are taxed on it and all that kind of stuff, and it's a it's a job. It's a, yeah. a fairly well paying job if you do it right. Um, and I I'm going to assume that you know sex attacks are you know probably lower than they are here. Um, now I don't know if this has anything to do with sex work. I know there are a lot of people that work in like sort of the sadism BDSM community. Um, they work in sex work, and that is probably a way to get his kicks. If he was around today, ignoring the paedophilic issues, I know like at the end of the day he still had paedophilic issues, and if he was around today, he would have done that. What I'm saying is that like if he was able to maybe explore his version of sexuality, i.e., the sadistic way, in a healthy way from earlier doors you know there are options now that you know he may have been able to you know have a completely normal life and still be able to get engage in sex in a in a way that he finds great um and get on with it yeah but no he was stifled so he had to act out yeah and you know i'm not surprised that you know you might get to a point where someone's just like seen as awful because you like that kind of stuff he obviously is a dickhead and he engages in it the wrong way but even if he was a nice person and him and his wife consensually like to whip each other and smack one another during sex if the neighbor found out they'd be like oh my god they're devils in their own home like (laughs) i just i i'm like i said at the end i'm I'm quite thankful and thankful that we live in in a world now where you know people can explore their own sexuality and explore the things that they would like to do and have healthy conversations about it yeah, but there's still that genera- generational like divide, isn't there? Because obviously, like I think in the past 10, 15 years, things have developed so quickly that older generations don't really understand it. And to them, monogamy and heterosexuality is still the be-all and end-all of life. And now you've got this whole new generation where sex is very fluid. Um, people identify as, as, as different things. And it's confusing to a generation who have lived their entire life a certain way and now suddenly there's this whole new way and I'm not I'm not justifying their views because I disagree with what their views are but it must be quite jarring to suddenly have to relearn mm. everything and that's again why I think they then 
become bigots and start mouthing off and stuff because the way that things have been done their entire life has now changed. It doesn't make them right. I think as you get older, you have the responsibility. You have to learn. You have to adapt. Um, mm. But the world they grew up in is gone. Yeah. No, I agree. I think you've nailed it on the head there. Yeah, spot on. So yeah, that is the story of the Monkey de Song. Fascinating. It is actually quite fascinating. Um, so yeah, I'll be honest. I'm glad I'm not talking about that guy anymore. <laughs> Dirty. Yeah, so we can clean that search history now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I do hope you enjoyed that episode as much as you can. Um, make sure you do follow us on the socials. James is doing absolute bits on the TikTok. I will eventually show my face on TikTok. I just don't know when. I don't have the time. <laughs> so. It takes a lot of work, so please do engage with it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, head over to TikTok and uh, give us a follow. Make sure you follow us on all the socials. Uh, check everything out. Make sure you head on the website. Um, and uh, yeah, we've got some really cool things coming up soon. So um, yeah, if you if you've been with us from the start, um, you've seen us go on a journey. That journey, we're literally about to take a turn and uh, walk down another street. So uh, we're really excited for what's coming up. Alrighty then. Thank you very much for listening, everyone, and we will see you on the next one. Ta-ra. I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.